and welcome to episode 136 of Relics of Ore. I am your host, Grybok, and joining me this morning are the usual suspects, Kate and Evie. How are you doing this morning, Kate? Uh, I am... I'm doing well. I hear it's final season for several of our hosts. <laughs> yeah, I, okay, I'm doing as well as you can do during final season. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. I think I think we're all sort of on on whacked out sleeping schedules for one reason or another. Um, but uh, yeah, I think we're all uh, what's what's the expression? Bright eyed and bushy tailed, like squirrels. Exactly. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, how are you doing this morning, Evie? Oh, becoming mid yawn. Um, I'm doing pretty good. Um, yeah, I feel like that's fitting. <laughs> I'm. A little bit loopy, probably, because I've only slept for, like, three hours. Yeah. So, that's a thing. Um, alright, well, let's just move straight into Patch Adams. They're squirrels! They're one of the most amiable creatures on the planet. Oh, no, they're not. On the list of hostile predators, they're right above the bottom, just above baby chicks and slugs. What could they possibly want? Your nuts? So, it's Patch Week, um... We got our next living story installment, Seeds of Truth. Um, who wants to who wants to start off with this? Do we want to start off with the story, or do we want to talk about the non-story stuff first? I I think non-story stuff first. Yeah. Non-story stuff first. All right, you guys seem excited about that. So we have a new gem store item, right? Uh, the mail carriers. Yes. Oh, okay. So this kind of I'll talk about this because it it caught me by surprise. Uh, I don't think we were any indications that mail carriers were going to happen. Uh huh. Uh, so it was neat to see something that was kind of very out of the blue in the patch notes, especially when uh, Living Story has a tendency to dominate everything in there, and there's just like a couple tiny things on the side, maybe. So mm-hmm. I was excited about that at first, and then I looked at it, and um, what it is is a skin for your... So you know how uh, default in all through the game so far, there's been a little pigeon that flies down and he drops your mail and he flies off the other side of the screen. Which, incidentally, well, there's that thing. I think a lot of people don't even realize that. Yeah. Um, so that exists. He will fly to you even underwater. He is a very dedicated mail carrier pigeon. Well like trained. in the mists or <laughs> wherever. Yeah. That, guy, that, that pigeon is so underappreciated in this game, you guys. That he delivers pigeon... your boxes of armor. He's like this big, and he'll carry, you know, giant greatswords to you underwater think, in the mists. I think it'd be really funny, actually, if they did sort of like a joke segue about uh, developing new, like, advanced surrogates uh, that were, like, based on the interdimensional mail carrier pigeons. <laughs> like, they can find you anywhere, our new tracking systems. Like That's kind of awesome, yeah. <clears throat> anyway. So, anyway. So, there are mail carrier pigeons. Yeah, it, and... It- and now you have a, a wardrobe option to change uh, these pigeons to something else. Right now, the one they released this week is a, a griffin mail carrier. Uh, it's a lot larger. It lingers on the screen a lot longer. Um, and it's 500 gems on the gem store, but there's also been a few more different kinds data mined. So expect more in the future. What were you going to say, V? I was just going to say that that pigeon reminds me of Winky. That got the Dickin medal. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what you're talking about. Okay, the Dickin medal is uh, 
military honor that's given specifically to animals. Oh, okay. Winky was a pigeon that helped in World War Two by hmm. being a war pigeon. This pigeon, like, was missing a leg. Technically should have not been able to fly, but still did it, and, like, a whole bunch of stuff. So he's like the badass version it, of uh, the, Weasley's, the Weasley's owl from Harry Potter. <laughs> like, instead of being a dumbass, he's just like gristled old war war pigeon. Basically. Through War Horse, I want to see a movie about War Pigeon. I'm way into this now, and I know this is going to come up in pub trivia next week, because this is how it always happens. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I would like to share that I was not, I was like, I was excited about mail carriers, but I wasn't particularly sold on them until I found out that it's not just your incoming mail that gets skinned, it's also your outgoing mail. So I sent a whole bunch of Griffin letters to all of my guildmates uh, because it was fun. So they got a whole bunch of random junk from my inventory just to see Griffins fly across their screen. <laughs> yeah, it's a really cute idea. Um, I... You know, sort of like you said initially, I I don't really super care about it, but I think it's exactly I think it's the perfect type of monetization slash microtransaction. Like it's mm -hmm. it is the definition of pure cosmetic, and it's something that they could actually do a lot of really fun and cute stuff with. Um, yeah, it's I think it's interesting. How do you what do you think about it, Evie? Evie, doop doop. All right, Evie's gone. <laughs> Technical difficulties. He'll be back. Um. So, Kate, if you could add any one type of mail carrier, what would it be? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I would add the Shatterer. Oh, damn, that's thinking big. <laughs> Mini Shatterer. I, I remember thinking it way back at launch. Uh, Hunter and I were like, what would we add if we could change the mail carrier? And I wanted the Shatterer. Uh, I would make it... A rare drop from the Shatterer. Oh, that's and a good idea. also not account bound, so that people can sell it. And I could buy it, considering I'm not going to get one dropped for me. <laughs> that's cute. Um, I think I'd have to go for Flamingos, because just also think about how idea. ridiculous that would be. Uh, and not, not mini Flamingos. Full Flamingos. Like, like a flock? Yeah, well, like, just, just a full-size one. <laughs> you know, like the ranger pet. Yeah, oh yeah. Just it imagine it just tumbles that. out of it's the like, sky Wah! and like rolls away. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't fly gracefully. It just <laughs> it arrives from the air. How about you, Evie? Uh, how are your How are your feelings on it? And or what would be yours if you could add one? Yeah, apparently Mumble doesn't like it when I send messages on chat for some reason. So sorry about that before. That's and right. like. I think it's a good way for them to add more cosmetic options mm -hmm. that don't necessarily impact gameplay in any serious, serious way, but it's, like, still very... It's interesting, to say the least. Yeah, it's a cute idea. Exactly. Yeah. And I... as far as, like, what I would like to see, I want to see machines! Yeah, like Ooh. clockwork mail carrier pigeon. Not even that, just, like, char... little char mini helicopter... Ooh, that's a good one too. Yeah, like the just... like the freaking Amazon Prime delivery drones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kate, I just imagined a quaggan parachuting out of the sky and then handing you your letter and watering, waddling away off screen. 
No, it doesn't walk away off screen. It gets it gets uh, shot down by other miniatures. <laughs> oh, like no, they're having like miniature carrier battle wars. <laughs> There's a um, lot of potential for male carriers, and that makes me happy. Yeah, it was pretty great. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, no, it's I mean it's very cute, and I'll be I will be shocked if they don't uh, add uh, plush Griffin male carriers this Christmas season. Why did I buy one already? They're going to release so many cool things, and I'm going to be like, but I already bought one. (laughs) (laughs) Early adopters problem, man. It's a thing. All right. Well, I think that's about all we have to say on mail carriers. Um, Blackline chest updates? Somebody want to go over that? Yeah. uh, I actually looked into this because I was curious about what it would take to get one. They, um, I can't remember exactly what they did, but the main... The main feature is that they added a whole bunch of home instance nodes, including um, rare materials like orichalcum and elderwood. Uh, but what's funny to me about the and they're not account bound, by the way. So if you get one of these, you can sell them. But for an elderwood uh, log in your home instance, it would cost you about six hundred gold. So. I don't know if it's something I'd be particularly excited about or ever go after since there's, it seems like, way easier ways to go about. Like, I would just rather gather Kershaw than gather the money to get an Oracalcum node, especially since at the drop rate, it would be, like, $10 right now is roughly 100 gold, so it'd be like $50. If you wanted to convert it to get an Oracalcum node or untold hours of gameplay for three pieces of Oracalcum in your home instance. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of those things where that's that's true of all of those nodes in that if you just took the gem cost and converted that to gold, you could buy yourself an infinite amount of, like, wood or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it is what it is. Oh, just kidding. Uh, I just checked again. There's only one on the gem store right now, or one on the trading post, so now it's worth 1,500 gold. Aha, I see. So it's basically a legendary. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, actually, no, there are cheaper legendaries. That's silly. (laughs) Yes. Uh, uh, uh. Anyway, alright, well... That's a thing. Uh, Evie, you want to talk about the SPVP updates? Um, honestly, I haven't really... I like the new voting system, for sure. Though everyone seems to vote for Courtyard for some reason. Well, what is what is the new voting system, for those of us who are not PvP inclined? Okay, when you're, like, doing your PvP stuff, or whatever, and, it, like... It's time to go to a new map. Mm-hmm. Everyone that's in the thing can vote for the next map and, like, give you choices or whatever. Which is nice because instead of having, like, a map rotation where you're going to have to play a map you don't like, no matter what, pretty much, people can avoid maps that they don't like or at least attempt to. So just sort of like standard, you know, FPS style map vote, as it were. Basically. Yeah. You know, I think... The, oh, go ahead. The main issue I find with it is that pretty much everyone is voting for Courtyard, which is, like, the 
If Gilbors had like a brain dead, this takes no strategy like fight for PvP outside of like Zerg versus Zerg with no capture points in World v World, it would be Courtyard. <laughs> okay. Because it basically turned Conquest into not Conquest and into Team Deathmatch. And the map is very poorly designed for it. Okay, gotcha. But it's what everyone votes for for some stupid reason. I'm I'm still kind of bitter about that because I was stuck playing Courtyard for like two hours. Yeah. No. I I think there is some interesting um, stuff to discuss about, or not really stuff, but it's it's possible that ArenaNet might start looking at the voting metrics and you know use that to make some decisions about PvP maps, but that may be just pipe dreams. Well. If they can take anything away from this is that people really, really, really want other game modes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh. Alright, well I guess that was a small one. Um Spirit, you're really excited about the silver waste and everything about this patch. Okay, listen. Hey. I like jumping puzzles. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was doing when I was doing my first playthrough of the story. I was following it along, and it sends you up into a part of the Silver Waste that was previously blocked off. Um, I fell down a staircase in my eternal gracefulness and navigational ability, and found a massive underground area featuring a giant ship wedged in a cavern, which was turned upside down. Which, by the way... The SS Topsy Turvy, which I enjoyed for the amazing visuals, the the dialogue, and the script. I found out I watched Points of Interest this week, and Josh Foreman, who designed this area. Uh, I have another comment about Josh Foreman, but that'll hold off for a second. Uh, Josh Foreman and the other designers of that area wrote the SS Topsy Turvy as a satire on ArenaNet's development process, right? So these Skrit are trying to put the ship together uh, to the point where even at 10.30, they have a stand-up meeting about the ship. <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually, so see, I haven't I caught this week's point of interest. Normally I watch it, but I haven't had a chance to, so that's really funny. Um, yeah, and then on top of that, uh, there's a jumping puzzle, mm-hmm. which... It spans the entire zone. Yeah, it's it's huge. Uh, I got lost in it. Yeah, like I am actually partway through it with my necromancer, and I think I may have <laughs> jumped out of it without realizing it because I had no idea where to go next. Oh no! Yeah, it, that's definitely possible, and it's also uh, slight spoilers if you don't want to know about the end of the jumping puzzle. But there's a sequence of tunnels which you have to navigate, and you'll have sometimes up to like five options of different tunnels to go through some will send you back to the beginning some will send you to different areas and it goes in a spiral upward so a lot of times it'll look you'll go oh no this is where i came from but you're actually like on a level above or below where you just left and it looks exactly the same oh it's a nightmare to navigate so you're saying i should just look it up instead of trying to like hardcore through it like i normally do without looking things up uh no, I highly recommend trying to figure it out. It's not 
that awful. I think it took me like 20 minutes to get through the tunnel portion, although I had been through it twice before because somebody saved me. <laughs> I was like, I'm lost. I see. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. But the part I enjoyed even more was the collectibles for this patch. There's now golden lost badges scattered throughout this jumping puzzle and uh, the new areas that have been released. And I believe my exact words when I told Hunter about how difficult and how amazing, like, how ridiculous the jumps to get these were, was, this is some Josh Foreman-level shit. Uh, and I mean that in the highest complimentary way possible. I'm a very big fan of all of the, the stuff that he has designed for Guild Wars 2. Yeah, he's just unarguably the time. master of difficult jumping puzzles. Yes, and that is a great thing. Yeah, oh yeah. I love all the Josh Foreman puzzles. Like, they're fantastic. Evie, have you checked out this jumping puzzle yet? I actually haven't. Mostly because I kind of want to do it on my Mesmer first. Mm -hmm. Just as a bit of a fallback. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, it's huge. I got I got basically out of the cave, I think into sort of some upper ground area and then I couldn't tell where I was supposed to go because there were so many places I could go and then I went over to some like ruins that looked like they were significant and I found a coin up there and then I was pretty sure that I was at a dead end so you know but uh no it's it's really cool it's it's top notch oh I should um when you fall off of it you're not necessarily doomed so like the advantage of bringing a Mesmer here would be that you can drop a portal and take a wrong jump, and if it doesn't go anywhere, then you have the advantage of being able to return to where you were through the portal. But in terms of falling and dying, there's actually Skrit that if you fall and die, you'll be rezzed by a Skrit, and then somewhere nearby, uh, in almost every case, there's a script tunnel and a kit outside it and if you talk to that kit he'll tell you like a little funny joke or something i can't remember exactly what it is but then you have the option to tip him uh a copper a silver or a gold and as you're progressing through this jumping puzzle you find these milestones there's a there's nine of them total uh depending on how much you pay this script if you pay a copper he'll take you two back from your farthest one if you pay a silver he'll take you one back from your farthest one and if you pay a gold, he'll take you back to your farthest checkpoint. So it's not like it's not a case of you get all the way to the end, you make a bad decision, and you die, and that's it. You have a lot of chances to be able to return. Yeah, I thought that was a really which is good because it's ridiculous. I think the the speed runs, like the shortest times for this jumping puzzle, are just getting under ten minutes. Yeah, I think it's a really, really good idea, a really good way to implement that. Um, I do, I I haven't actually looked at my checkpoints. I feel like I only actually saw like two or three checkpoints, but I also feel like I may have missed one or two. So I don't know how easy it is to miss the checkpoints. Uh, it's not easy to miss the, uh, it's easy to miss them visually. Yeah. Uh, but it's not easy to miss them like, getting the buff that you get as you pass them. Oh, is there a buff uh, for it? Yeah, it, it ticks up to nine, and then when you've got nine stacks, you know you've gotten all of them. Oh, fascinating. So when you teleport back, does it keep you at however many stacks you still have, or...? Yep. 
not notice that. Anyway, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, I I dig it. I'm a big fan of it. It's very. Uh, it combined two of the things that I enjoy most, which is exploration and jumping puzzles. So it got an A plus from me. Yeah, it was really pretty too. Just I mean, just in general. I mean, their their vistas and landscapes are always pretty, but mm-hmm. you know. I love that the zone was de- designed with a jumping puzzle that wraps around it in mind as well. Like it goes. When I'm when I say it goes through this whole zone, I'm not kidding. I mean, it starts at the bottom. There, it winds around the whole bottom layer, up over all of the forts you've been through, back down into the cavern, uh, in some completely new areas, and it's just amazing. Yeah. It's... Do any events sort of go over it in a way that like mobs can? interrupt you while you're jumping no okay. no it's real quiet you don't have to worry about enemies at all yep. the only event interaction is that the access to the script tunnel which takes you to the start of the jumping puzzle or rather which takes you to the waypoint that is at the start of the jumping puzzle um can get closed down by bandits and then you have to wait to reopen it but you don't have to wait more than five or ten minutes and once you have the waypoint, you can just go to the waypoint. So, mm-hmm. one thing that's really annoying though is if you're trying to get those, um, if you're trying to get that event done, but you waypoint to Drydock Scratch, which is the new one, as opposed to Camp Resolve, uh, the entrance or like the exit from the script tunnels are blocked off. So if you take the wrong waypoint, you can't contribute. Yeah. Yeah. So, it sounds like we're about ready to talk about the story, right? Oh, boy. I think so. All right, well, let's just move right into the story corner area thing space. Uh, Who wants to start off with this? Sounds like Evie has things to say. Sounds like. Uh, (laughs) First of all, the inconsistency. The the single inconsistency. the, The... well, it's probably the most like glaring thing that like stood out in my face, and I don't even play a Silvari, and it was just like, mm. why don't you why don't you elaborate a little bit for those who don't necessarily follow the Reddit and or the forums as much? Okay, so at one point in the story, they're talking about like the first time that the uh, Silvari. Um, we're starting to like deal with death, basically, and they mention how there have been a few that have died, and then they go on to say that this particular Silvaria named one I can't remember off like Malmedies or something like that. I thought it started with an R. Oh, does it? Ranok. Oh, Ranok. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think maybe there was a tie-in to uh tie-in in this omission to that other guy. Whatever. Anyway. Yeah, Riannick. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they're like, okay, so this dude is missing, and we don't know where he's missing, and all this whatnot. And that's how it's done in the living story. However, in the personal story, they explicitly state that Riannick was the first Silvari to die. Right. So, there's that little inconsistency there, but... They have said that they are going to fix it 
in the living story so that it it's correct and matches up with the personal story. Yeah. I'm kind of sort of bothered that this even went through the living story because that that's a really like it's not a huge detail, but it's an important one. Yeah, I yeah, I mean I guess from a pragmatic standpoint, it doesn't really surprise me or bother me that much. Um, cause they are so spot on, you know, it's like they're, you know, they're bound to make a mess up sometime. Um, yeah, I mean, I, and it, I mean, it's great that they're going to fix it, you know, like, especially because the living or yeah, the living story stuff is permanent now. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, it's definitely important that they go back and fix these things because effectively they are personal story extensions. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, I honestly didn't catch it at first because it's been so long since I've done the personal story that I didn't remember the name. But yeah, you know, I I remember like playing through and seeing or seeing slash hearing the way there's a lot of like some things are text, some things are said in this personal story, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. They're leaning more towards voice acting, and like I was just like, wait. What? Yeah. It really threw me off. Did you, Spirit, did you even catch on to that at all? I I did. I kind of assumed that I had misunderstood Silvari lore, but I, I mean, even I knew that that was a, you know, a, a key point in Silvari history is when they, they like, the first death, because uh, I imagine Silvari is children. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, right? the oldest Silvari so, are 25, and when the first one died, yeah. they were, Which, you know, by like, the five, way, or whatever. That drives me nuts when Silvari act like they're real old, and like, you're 25 tops. Yeah. Well, 27. Oh, yeah, that's right, time has elapsed since we started playing. I always forget about well, that. Well, but also, like, the thing is that they were, even though they weren't actually born like infants, they were basically born, like, at teenagers at, at, at the very least. So they're, a, you know, if you start out as basically a teenager and then live for 27 years, you know, you're in your 30s, 40s, like... They're all having their midlife crisis at the same time. Exactly. And that is what we're dealing oh, with right now with Mortimoth. Exactly. Like, Dad went out and bought a sports dragon and, like, <laughs> Mom's just having a fit. Like, she won't wake up. She won't get out of bed. Like... <laughs> Oh, this poor Silvari family. Yeah, and all the kids are just deciding who they want to side with in the divorce. Um. <laughs> wow. That's an amazing analogy, though. <laughs> oh my god. How did we come to this point? Um. <laughs> anyway, so, stepping aside from the lore inconsistency, um, well, first, I guess, first off, I want to say, I friggin' love the cover art of this episode uh the like the young the young case or whatever i'm honestly surprised that they use that model yeah well not not the model but like the 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 actual just uh like splash screen oh yeah yeah i i love that i think it looks fantastic like i get a very um sort of like older school final fantasy art you know like drawn art style out of it like I totally mm-hmm. dig it. Quite, I'm not the only person who thought of that because I 
that was one of my first thoughts as I looked at it. Like, this reminds me of Final yeah. Fantasy. Yeah, especially the older ones. Yeah, like uh, like the the art that would have been in their in their guides and or um you know instruction manuals or whatever. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, as, as someone that has literally taken every like loading screen splash art and made wallpapers out of it from my own desktop, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah, it's it's awesome, it's really awesome. So ha- you know, hats off to whoever whoever uh, was responsible for that at ArenaNet. It's it's sweet. All the artists at ArenaNet are really good. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But you know, specific like double props on this one. Um, yeah. So I guess I mean just in general. So we got to play as young Kaith. We got to we did have that different model, which you were saying you were surprised at Evie. Yeah, because like, how do I put this? It in a weird roundabout way, it like implies, if not generally, just states that. Silvari actually age and change as they age. Mm-hmm. And it's literally the only evidence we have of it. Which makes me wonder if that's like the intent of doing that or if it's something like, oh, only Kaith did this. Um, why has it been explicitly stated that she aged because we well obviously she aged but the, the the changes were due to her aging because we know uh from Kanak at, at the very least and other Silvari uh I'm I'm fairly sure oh yeah Scarlet Scarlet changed as well you see her in the in the very first instance where all the naked Silvari babies are hanging around the meeting uh she's got different hair and a, a different appearance as well so we know that Silvari change, uh, at least through adversity, or major life changes cause them to change their appearance. Uh, in the case of Kanak, it was uh, being arrested. He actually appears in this too, his old yeah, model. Yeah, naked Kanak. Um, yeah. Uh, so he changed from, you know, his kind of like leafy flowing hair, and he was very green, to a, a dark gray with cactus thorn uh, through actually living story one if you if you hadn't played it um when he was caught and convicted or no it was before that even he um it, it happened somewhere between south sun i'm fuzzy on the details and i'm sorry it happened somewhere between south sun and him deciding that he was going to go and single-handedly take out entire bases of the molten alliance just the adversity of being in hiding i think is what the explanation was they have basically like some sort of like photosynthetic morality system. Like <laughs> ba- basically, <laughs> like you get shades like, of gray skin. Because uh, like it, it hasn't been explicitly stated if it's because they're aging or it's because of like what happens to them. And at that point, like what I mean, we know that something happened to Kate, obviously, right? But like mm-hmm. out of all of the differences, I think hers is probably the most extreme. It's true. It's true. So, uh, does anybody, like, it was really short. Like, it's almost hard to break it up just because it was so short. Um, yeah. It was... Uh, yeah. I, I. Did you guys pay attention to much of the dialogue in the instance where you're walking around with all the younglings or whatever? 
like all the side dialogues. I really like that actually because yeah. one they're mm-hmm. using more voice acting and that's always a good thing compared mm-hmm. to walls of text. Yeah. And two it gives a lot of sort of background, I guess. Yeah. To people that wouldn't normally know that kind of stuff. And they're just like, "Oh, oh." And like hearing Sierra or Ki- Kiara said that name really mm-hmm. weird. Hearing like her name like right. before Scarlet could have ever possibly been a thing was just like whoa. Yeah, and Kanak as well uh as one example that I'm particularly interested in and and then going around seeking out so like the named secondborn to see if there are other ones I could find. Uh Katarin was there, founder of the Nightmare Court, and Fiana, who I had to look up, but she died at the roots of the revered Terebinth, which is up in Brisbane, and that tree has gained magical powers now as a result. Oh, is of that where the jumping there. puzzle is? Uh, no, it's the event on the uh the side of Brisbane towards Cassix, about midway up the zone. Oh, okay. Hmm. Oh no, you know what I was thinking of? Do you do you know which jumping puzzle I'm thinking of though? That's like in the giant, huge tree. The one right after uh, Morgan Spiral. No, uh, it's it's um. You have to, like, defeat elementals that are around the map. It's over more by Mount Maelstrom. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 That's that's what I was thinking about. Anyway, regardless. I think that's yeah, it's Yeah, I'm sure it is. It's just... on, on another note, the whole, like, Silvari dying and affecting the world is starting to become a thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, which, I mean, I'm sure some people like or dislike more than others. Um you know, I know some people are kind of tired of Silvari being, you know, the special snowflake race. Um, I don't really care, personally. Mm. But I thought it was really interesting that the Asura were using their life, using the Silvari life essence to soup up their golems. I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I liked what, uh, what the Asura instance kind of showed us about I think this story um, was a really good example of them showing us things and not telling us right because we know logically that the Asura can kind of be dicks. for lack of yeah <laughs> I was going to say jerks but, uh, but yeah dick exactly sounds, dick is exactly uh, like an Asura knowledge. name like syntactically speaking dicks it'd be like oh, D-I-X-X yes. I'm on board with this. Okay, they, so yeah, they can be dicks in their pursuit of knowledge, and it was interesting to see that kind of enacted in the way that uh, Vorp treated uh, the Silvari and the way that the Sarah crew members treated each other as you were moving through mm-hmm. the instance. Yeah, it... Um, so yeah, I'm all about well, that. Well, it also tied in great to the whole dragon energy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that Kaith kept mentioning about the the dragon energy and the ley lines and stuff like that, and that you know if we're um you know if if Silvari are Mordremoth's minions theoretically quote unquote you know that if they have this this dragon energy flowing through them because they theoretically are you know minions uh and that that would be a powerful power source that they would tap into that's exactly like the Asura to to you know do that like to both discover that and to be like hey we can make super cool weapons out of that um mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I thought that was really cool. What'd you guys feel? Oh, go what ahead. Did you, what did you think of the stealth mechanics? I was just about to ask that. I was, gonna, I was just about to ask how, <laughs> how did you feel about the mechanics of that. Um, I thought they weren't very well explained at first. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's it seems really... I don't know. Yeah, it seemed really weird that... Like, I, I guess I get it that at the end of your... Um, knockout or whatever, you become visible briefly, and then that's when they detect you. But it just seemed kind of odd. I don't know. It kind of unintuitive at first. Yeah. Being like, oh, hey, I can't go in these things. And then you realize, oh, it's just when I'm not cloaked. It, it was weird. And honestly, the first time I did it, I just ran in and killed everything. Yeah, I did kind of like that they had a backstop. Like, if you're not a stealth gameplay type of person, then just murder everything. But on the other hand, if you are a stealth play type of person, um, and again, I got this from POI, I haven't tried this yet at all, but I I believe it is possible to finish the entire instance in stealth, including the boss. It is. So if you are good at stealth, and if you want to take that play style, um... To, to quote the developer, you don't fall into the trap of other games where you go through the whole game in stealth and then you have to come out of stealth and you're totally out of your element when you're fighting, fighting a, a boss. Quote yeah. unquote boss in a stealth yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah, they did a really good job with that part of it. Like uh at a at a conceptual and overall design like standpoint, I thought it was really interesting and really solid. Um, you know, like like Evie and I said, a few of the mechanics weren't entirely uh intuitive intuitive or clear like i actually i'll i'll confess mm-hmm. i actually got kind of confused during the boss fight of about exactly what i was supposed to be interacting with like i understood it the first time where i was just supposed to you know hit the generator beside him but i did not understand what i was supposed to be doing with the um once the like invincible always detecting golems started defending mm-hmm. them and like i didn't see the switches on the cell and then when i did see them I thought that I was supposed to be hitting all four of them in rapid succession to let out the prisoners or something like that. And so I sort of just like ran yeah. around and then eventually, um, yeah, basically I just got detected and then had to murderate a room full of Asura and golems, which was not entirely unpleasant because um, <laughs> I hate those little yeah. monsters. But um, I would have been a good nightmare court. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so I mean, I'll confess I got a little bit confused, which is not too common for me for boss fights but it was can i just say that tave's like skill set super thief is well there's that but it's actually really well done yeah yeah it's fun you want to go into that a little bit more than it's awesome it, it felt like playing a double dagger thief like for lack of a better way of saying it in beta oh yeah yeah like when it's when it's too powerful to really be that way, but it's super awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That actually, I think that'd be really funny um, if, uh, like, we had this continuing trend of playing the original characters and that they were effectively just like their alpha or beta builds that were OP as crap, and it was just like that's <laughs> that's the reason that Destiny's Edge is is like the heroes is they have the alpha skills and didn't get hit with the nerf hammer. <laughs> yeah, that'd be amazing. Um. In terms of, I don't, I don't know about balance, but in terms of actually how the skills were executed, it felt very cave. It was very flowy. There was a lot of movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely uh, kudos there yeah, as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, actually, speaking of, no, that's a great, 
uh, segue, kind of, because I I felt that the skills um, did a good job of making me feel like Cave, but I actually felt uncomfortable being Cave, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of these things were happening uh, that were big, uh, impactful moments in the history of the Silvari, and obviously kind of emotionally charged, right? I was very sad through the whole Asura instance just to see um, how these Silvari were being tortured and killed, and it was a very... It was awful. Uh, But I I didn't directly have a hand in it. And then when we moved on to the next instance, and I was kind of dragged along with Fallon and I, you know I understand this is happening in the past I understand that it's not my character but I was still made very uncomfortable by the the types of decisions and like the activities that I was participating yeah. in I guess and I like the whole idea that I couldn't tell Fallon because Fallon drove me up a, a wall I was not happy with her at all I didn't understand like I didn't understand her obsession with finding out what Wynne want like knew, and the urgency. Well, they sort of it, they sort of spoke right? that a little like, bit about the uh, Night Silvari that basically they are all about secrets, and I think the idea is that like it just kind of drives her crazy that somebody else knows a secret that she doesn't. Okay, and that's kind of fair, but I. I didn't like getting dragged along with it. I think it was just because of the nature of the kind of things sure. that were happening. Uh, were completely against anything that I would want to participate in, especially uh, when we get to the centaur instance and Cave is reasonably well balanced. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you're talking to this centaur scout. And as you go in, I watched it the second time through. My friend was doing it, and I watched what happened. Fallon punches a centaur and then goes, Ow, they're hurting me! Really? And like, that's awesome. That's Yeah, which is, like, such a childish thing. And, like, yeah. I, well, but it's also so perfectly fitting for how manipulative she is. Yeah. Right. Like, I, I understand it, but then I, I murdered all of these innocent centaur knowing that... Uh, it was something that we caught, like, we indirectly, I guess, because I was with Fallon caused, and, like, hurting Win was very impactful to me, just because it felt so against everything that I wanted right. to do. Well, I mean, that it is the schism. felt kind of forced. Right. Right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that is basically where the schism happened, isn't it? Between Kate and Fallon? Uh, well, we don't... I don't think we know yet, because... I'm trying to remember how it ended now, how Fallon and uh, Kate were at the end of the instance, because you get up to to the wall that they show in the, the teaser, and then the story's over, which is, you know, another issue in itself, because it seemed like it ended really abruptly, and, like, there was supposed to be another Like, there should be chapter. another instance. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Um... I don't remember how her and Fallon were at the... I think they they both pursued her to the door, and that was how this one ended. So I, I don't think we've... This could definitely be the cause of the schism between the two of them, but I don't Oh, no, yeah, no, it yet. hasn't happened yet. But I mean, I think that this is sort of, like, one of those key moments. Because Kate was pretty, like, why do we have all these soldiers here? Like, why are we... Yeah. Like, why are we bringing this to a fight? And then, like, you know... 
well, we want to take our sister back, and you know the centaur is just sort of, sort of like, well, she's here of her own accord. Like she can leave whenever she wants, and you're kind of just like, hmm. Well, we'll wait for her to get back, I guess. And then you know, Fallon starts some shit. Right. Uh, do you guys have anything else to say about the centaur instance before? Because I I have questions about the end of the story for you guys. That boss fight was really well done, uh, for sure. Yeah, I well. I, I guess I won't necessarily say that I had a problem with it, but I thought that the introduction of his uh, line of tornadoes uh, could have been a little bit better, because basically what happened was I was meleeing mm. him, and then all of a sudden I got, like, insta-jibbed, and I actually had no idea what happened. Um, and I don't know how it happened exactly, but it was something to do with that line of tornadoes and one of his AoEs and something, like, all hitting me at once, and that was kind of less yeah. than fortunate but otherwise once i once i figured out what those were and how to like basically just i mean basically i died once and then the rest of the fight was actually like pretty fun um you sound like you didn't have a fun time with it spirit i had a hard time figuring out uh the tornadoes because yeah. i didn't understand what was instant and it got extra frustrating because kate didn't get a down state she just went straight to dead. So there was no... In a game where I'm used to having a second chance to be like, oh, I messed up, but it's okay, it's okay, I'll, I'll rally from the downstate, there's elementals to rally off of, whatever. I didn't have that, and so it felt a lot more punishing to be instantly killed by these tornadoes. Because I think... I think if you had full health, they'd take you down to like 100 or something. Uh, but if you had any less than full health, it was an insta-death. Uh which I didn't always see coming, or sometimes I was in the middle of a death blossom because it it um, takes a while. Kade's death blossom skill isn't just one death blossom; it's three. So if I was in the middle of that and I didn't have time to react, or if I had burned my dodges on something else and I couldn't get out of the line in time, it did get really yeah frustrating. But I, it wasn't the worst thing. It could have been better, but it wasn't awful. It just didn't. I'm usually very excited about boss fights, and I was just kind of slogging through that one kind of <laughs> angrily. That's that's interesting, because, like, out of the living story bosses so far, I found that one probably the most engaging. I liked, um, the Terrorgriff. Meanwhile, I hated that one. Well, I hated that one <laughs> yeah. on a character that was specced entirely for melee. That was not very fun for me. I I really enjoyed the Terrorgriff, um, challenge mode because it's all of his regular attacks faster with more damage in a larger radius uh, more often in the dark. <laughs> and I loved every minute of that that kind of challenge thing. So he, he holds a special place in my heart. Currently. Well, you did that co-op though, right? I did. I did it with one I other mean, person. I mean, that probably makes a significant difference just in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought um story wise the instance was interesting. Uh like Evie said, it was a little bit forced, but at the same time it was kind of forced but in that sense where I think the idea was that it was forced in that Fallon yeah. went there looking for a fight. Like and Kate is just like not Kate is young and in love and not really like uh willing or capable or ready to basically stand up to Fallon. Um, the the only gripe I would say, the only criticism I have is that they could have 
conveyed that thought, pro- like Kate's thought processes, a little bit better. Yeah. As far as why she was going along with it and whatnot, especially considering it was her memory. Yeah. I yeah, I think that they are leaning a little bit heavily on the player's knowledge that the two of them were an item. Um. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did sort of expressly state that, but it was not really at the forefront of. Of it, and that, and that is essentially the explanation, in my opinion, for like why Kate is not exactly gung ho, but you know, an accessory to mass murder. Like, you know, hey, yeah. my girlfriend slash wife is in a fight with a bunch of centaurs, so you know, she may be wrong, but she's my girlfriend, so I'm, you know, gonna fight with her. Um, you know, I mean, that's not a that is not an uncommon attitude, even in the real life. So. Um, you know, and and I mean, I think this the Asura instance was a pretty good setup to lend, if not credence, at least lend some understanding towards Kate and the Nightmares Court's feelings in general. You know, it's like, welcome to the world. Hey, you should be good guys. Also, by the way, you're gonna get tortured and experimented on by this little race of bat monsters, and you should just be nice to them because they don't really understand. Like that uh that sort of makes Ventari's sort of uh pacifist teaching sound like a load of bull. So Oh my lordy. They'll have you guys. Mm-hmm. Alright, sorry. I uh went too long without moving my mouse and my screen went black, so I was afraid that my computer went into rest mode. <laughs> but it did not. Uh so I guess I guess those are my thoughts. I mean I think it was I think it was interesting. I think it was a good insight into how the nightmare court would form you know without just going straight from waking up to uh mustache twirling villains um <laughs> and like most things it's the Asura's fault so how you Evie? do you have any other story thoughts i really like how they're fleshing out the creation of the nightmare court like you were saying yeah and ain't it in general tends to be pretty good about like fleshing out villains it's not just oh hey this person's evil because they were born evil, like you said. Yeah. Like, coming, or, well... Well, now the Silvari are well, born now... evil. <laughs> Sometimes. No, not really. Aren't, aren't, some of, aren't some of them sort of born nightmare mm-hmm. Like, they're always trying to convert more, but isn't that sort of the point of the Nightmare Court, is that they will corrupt the dream and that some of them will basically be... Nightmare. I mean, we haven't really actually "quote unquote" witnessed too many new Silvari born. I don't think we've actually witnessed a Silvari born as Nightmare. Yeah. Anyway, regardless, but yes, they even if sometimes they don't do a good job of necessarily introducing the villains' complexities right off the bat, uh, they usually do have good writing or or backstory for why the villains are that way. It's just that the major complaint is usually that it takes too long to see it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's good fleshing out of the Nightmare Court and of the Inquest, for that matter. I mean, with the Inquest, it's, I mean, it's more Inquest stuff, which is always nice compared to, like, nothing. Yeah. But at the same time, it, di- it didn't really, like, give anything new about them. Oh, no, that's true. We always knew that they were dicks. Yeah, they were dicks, but... I mean, it's just more... It's just more where we actually see them talking instead of them just, like, running away, shooting at you. You know? Yeah, but... Mm-hmm. Other than that, as far as the story goes, the the last instance kind of bothered me, story-wise, because 
it felt like there was character development for Kaith that should have been there that just wasn't. Yeah. And, like, my only other gripe would be the ending of the story and just how it basically wasn't there. It just sort of stopped. Yeah, it. I mean... Uh, yeah, I, I guess... That's kind of been pretty consistent through season two, though. It's sort of been like, all right, you need to go talk to the pale tree in two weeks. Like, you know, uh, yeah, you know, say, so, yeah, I mean, it's like, you've got to a door. We'll open it. It's like constant. Yeah. Two weeks. <laughs> like constantly they're ending like one before they should. Right. Like, it seems like you should go to the pale tree, learn this revelation and then then like that's the cliffhanger and you act on it instead of like hitting a a low point at the end of the thing and like okay now wait two weeks and then you can do this kind of like build and climax and like low point in another two weeks it just seems like a strange flow yeah it well because what it's doing is it's it's leaving people wanting more information instead of leaving people wanting more of what they just got like we're ending these episodes and saying, you'll find out about what this is next time. Whereas I think most of our preference might be a little bit more to the tune of like, oh, these are the stakes, like crazy crap's about to go down. Find out how it goes down next time. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're we're ending on the, yeah. you'll find out what crazy crap is about to go down and then and then do it all in one. But we don't, the cliffhangers are trying to make us look forward to the explanation rather than the event like right i like yeah i like that yeah, way you're explaining and- it that makes sense to me and i think what evie said about um how cave lacked character development in the centaur instance lent lent to my uh uncomfortableness in that instance because it you know logically i know that was supposed to happen and there was a there was a bit i couldn't quite explain about why it made me feel more uncomfortable than it should have I think that that was part of it is because I just didn't understand why Kate was why yeah. these things were happening. I still want to know. Still don't know what Scarlet knows, right? I have a feeling that right. that's what we're going right. to find out next week. Yeah, but the thing is, uh, yeah, but Fallon maybe only Kate gets into the cave or something. So, well, Fallon didn't follow uh, her yeah. when she ran after Win in the cave. <laughs> ah, but. Okay, well, I guess we'll just have to see how that shakes out next week. But that's actually what I wanted to ask you guys, is because I think the way we've gone with story kind of took a sharp left turn uh, from where I think starting out in season two, we all expected it to kind of go. Is it like we we're staging an assault on Mordremoth? And I, I don't think that it's irrelevant, but I do think that one patch away from the end of season two... Do we do we actually know uh, that it's the end of season two? Like, do we know that it's actually eight, or are we just sort of assuming that because the first one was eight? Or wait, no, the first one was we, more than eight. Whatever. We don't but, see the thing. Like, I, this is another thing that I'm uncomfortable because it's kind of like all related. We're very unclear on what, like, how the end right. of season two will go down. Right? We don't know if it's going to be two weeks from now. We don't know if it's going to be in January. There's not been anything said. There's, There's not no been a lot of build up towards the end. Mm-hmm. Right, and it, it isn't the worst thing, but I like I don't have a clear answer for you, and I can't right. formulate thoughts based on 
like knowing like oh this is the end of season two and like yeah. season three will well because i mean so it's my so. assumption as uh, well that it's the last episode but i just you know i wanted to know if we actually had confirmation or if i was just sort of talking out of yeah, no, I don't think we do, other than, like, I think what people are saying the end is, like, this is the end of season two is based on... The holidays. Um, for, yeah, right, being the end of the year, but also, you know, having the carapace armor ends at chapter eight, and the mid-season break was after four, so the end of the yeah. season is the next four. I mean, because theoretically, they could have another mid-season break for the holidays, and then do another four, and, like season two becomes 12 episodes or 16 right. like however many they want right mid-season yeah, we're, break we're in uncharted territory here really yeah right exactly uh but like i said i don't think it's irrelevant but we have taken a turn from staging the assault on Morjama. so uh with one chapter to go uh at least for the foreseeable future since we we don't know what's coming. Uh, what do you guys think is going to happen? And do you, do you like how this is has been changing away from Morjamoth, but not necessarily away from Morjamoth? It's it's moving away from Morjamoth in the sense that we're not like directly dealing with him, which honestly, like mechanics wise, I like that because I hate Morjamoth's minions. Story wise, it seems kind of counterintuitive. But, at the same time, like, the way events are just folding out, it still makes sense. It's not like they're going off and doing filler or something. Right. But I think a lot of people expected to see, like... Uh, the So on the current trajectory, right? I My theory for the end of the season is that we find out because there, there's going to be like three or four instances in the next one, right? So we get into the cave as one uh, and find out Kay's secret and then flashback to the future. We have to deal with the fallout. We have to like pursue Kay or find her. And then three is dealing with Kay's problem, whether it, it's killing her or, you know, like saving her from whatever she is. And then possibly one more instance but not necessarily so we end on not more Jermoth at all necessarily one way or another we're gonna yeah okay that that's a fair unless more Jermoth that's a fair guess oh they would do that right before the holiday basically Kaith is not going to have the yes that yeah okay yeah Kate there's gonna be an egg handoff (laughs) this is like the weirdest game of football ever um but yeah, I think it'd take a, a sharp turn from the expectations at the beginning of season one where, you know, we might see a dragon, we might fight a dragon. Now it's, we're kind of... We're sort of languishing. Way in yeah. the middle of where I thought we would be. I think, well, the thing is that... Yeah, so... The thing that I like is that we have still been, if not every patch, then almost every patch, uh, incrementally moving through Maguma. And so it's like we're getting deeper and deeper towards Mordremoth, and we don't know how far we have to go. And mm-hmm. so I kind of like this concept that like we're we're sort of ever presently marching forward. Uh and we we don't know exactly mm-hmm. where we're ending up, but we we know that we're ending up at Mordremoth, but we don't know where that is yet. And wouldn't it be great if he was like 
on top of a bloodstone. Oh yeah, that would not surprise me at all. I mean that I think that's that would be very fitting. Yeah. I um but you know, I think that that's a good way to give us a little bit of simultaneously longevity and also progress is that you know, we are we're ever making progress and it's not directly at Mordramoth, but we're moving towards him and discovering more lands and more minions and all of these things. But that's also giving them time to do other things. Like, I mean, we're getting all this story and background and, um, you know, all that jazz. And, um, you know, we're we're sort of simultaneously always moving towards Mordramoth and never getting any closer to Mordramoth. So I think that it's... Mm-hmm. I think that you're right in the sense that a lot of us maybe thought that perhaps we were going to be fighting Mordramoth at the conclusion of Season 2. But... Um, I don't necessarily dislike the fact that that was that would probably be pushed off to season three. I mean, we've gotten a lot of good stuff along the way, and it doesn't feel like we've just gotten se- like uh, not segue, but like waylaid into other random territory. So, um, right, yeah. I mean, it definitely. I think the most, or not the most, but I think an interesting comparison slash question though is how do we feel coming into the end of season two relative to the end of season one? Because I think most of us would agree that it's a lot more subdued. Yeah, I I definitely mm-hmm. agree with that. And I also noticed that um, with one chapter to go, I, as with Living Story Season 1, I'm more interested in what comes beyond than getting to mm-hmm. the next chapter and seeing how the story ends. I think that had just has to do with Arena Net's marketing and how they they don't want to talk about new stuff. But I'm more excited about the potential for the next season or the future of the game or possible developments um yeah. than the end of the and, story and itself. like you know i kind of i kind of have to wonder if in their in their minds this is going to be a big climax because like let's say they kill off Kaith. um you know i i almost wonder if in their minds that is as significant as blowing up lion's arch because I know that in my mind, I don't really care. Like, I mean, yeah, it'd be it'd right. be really interesting that, you know, Kaith would die. Like, that would be pretty big. But the impact on my character and the impact on the world would be so minimal that, you know, it... It'd almost feel like a cop-out. Well, it's not so much that, but, like, when Lion's Arch was destroyed, we were fighting to prevent it from getting destroyed harder Whereas, presumably, if Kaith dies, either we would kill her because she gets corrupted, or Mordramoth would kill her, or, you know, one of Mordramoth's minions. But, either way, it's almost Mm -hmm. a passive, or, like, it's not something that we would be resisting, per se. And so, you know, it would be sort of, it would be big in that story sense of, like, once again, they're willing to kill off significant things, but Lion's Arch being destroyed is, was a lot more compelling um so it'll be in and much, much more drastic, drastic. and w- and i also want to go back and say i am still amazed that we're not doing any kind of like rebuilding lion's arch project in game like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'm i'm kind of blown away i mean i'm in in some ways i'm actually sad it's so funny it's so it's so everybody wants everything all the time like it's so great that they were willing to do something that huge and that long lasting um 
And that's what a lot of us want, I think. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Lion's Arch was so pretty. And I have friends that picked up the game after LA was destroyed. And I'm like, I, you can't see it ever. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I wonder if they're ever going to, or if it's just going to be forever exploded. I I would say they have to, well, they've but been... on, not on any specific they've... timeline. And I don't think it'll ever be the same as as it was originally. I would love I for like an LA 2.0. It will. Yeah. No. I, yeah. Exactly. I think it'll hit a restored state, but not reverted to original Lions Arch. I think it'll be different, and it'll have that kind of story of well, it was this way, and then it was real yeah. messed up, and now it's this way. I'd like to see them pull a, like, um, oh my, tip of my tongue, a Stormwind Cataclysm sort of thing going on. I actually have no idea what happened there, other than that, like, I know what the Cataclysm was, but I don't know any details. It destroyed parts of Stormwind and all this, and, like, once it was restored, it, I mean, it was still Stormwind, but it was notably different. Yeah, yeah, I I think, I think it'd be great. I mean, I mean, and they are slowly, you know, moving back in NPCs and stuff. Um, Yeah, it's really interesting. And I almost... There's more functionality in in New LA now, yeah. and everything's much more streamlined. Even if the it's also in interesting that well, you know, I almost wonder if they're using the quote unquote time passes at the same rate as like sort of uh, an excuse to like not get things done faster because <laughs> you know fixing a city takes time. Um, but yeah, that's sort of a tangential thought. We're we're sort of we're sort of straying now. Um. So it'd be really cool if they've like slowly been building yeah. stuff up every week, and it's just been so small that we yeah. haven't noticed until like one big piece <laughs> of rubble goes away, and we're like, "Whoa, whoa!" Um, yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, all right, let's do a lightning round real quick. How do you think or want the dragon's egg uh, to be finished up this season, Kate? I know. Lightning round, go. I wasn't ready. Uh, I want, in my ideal world, I would like to have glimpsed Marjoramoth through either, like, physically seeing him or a cutscene. Uh, I want the egg to be in our possession and our character to have a... Okay, do you want it to hatch at the end of the season, or do you want that to be something to start at the next season? Evie, go. Start at the next season. Alright, they made this big habuba about Silvari energy being able to power dragon golems and, like, in the past, Silvari energy, blah, 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 dragon energy. I want Kaith not only to die, but her energy to go in the egg Ooh, and make it hatch. Ooh, I like that. Oh, that's classy. Um, I want the script to steal the egg and then to rise up a nation of newly empowered dragon script. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh no, oh, but seriously, man. I actually kind of agree with both of I I think both of those are great ideas. Um I do also hope that we end up in possession of the egg. Um I don't think I'm ready for it to hatch yet, but I think that would be a good thing to do in season 3. Um but seriously, script world would be the best. <laughs> oh, I sorry, I just thought of this and it's kind of taking us back. I'm sorry. But uh the all of the teasers that Gilders to like the Twitter and the Tumblr have dropped coming like 
haven't happened yet. Does that bother anyone else? Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, like, they all belong to me, and there there was a whole series of them. None of them have come to fruition yet. Yeah, so it's going to be for the last chapter. On a side note, wouldn't it be awesome if not only what I said earlier happened, but, like, there was some script there that saw the egg hatch, and they were just like, the ultimate shiny, and they started worshipping Cave Dragon. Our shiny lord. Yeah. I am all about this. Yeah, our shiny overlord. Um... Yeah, yeah, we still need Ritlock to come back. Man. Yeah, and there's no yeah, there's been no movement on the uh Crichton Locket. Uh I don't threads. think we're gonna get much movement on that anytime soon. Bummer. It just I don't know, it feels like a, a tidbit rather than like I don't know. Uh, maybe that's just me. Unless well, the white mantle uh, like shows yeah. up and is like, oh, hey, there was egg. all that they because uh, <laughs> there was all that build up about the white mantle in the, the start of the Silver Wastes, and they made us read the book about Duke Baradin as part of the Hidden Arcana quest so that we understand who's the rightful heir to the Asclonian throne. Ritlock's doing his thing. That's a whole... that That's all there somewhere. That's got to come back. All right. All right. Cool. All right. It's time, I think, to move into our final segment of the evening, afternoon, day, morning thing. Kate, take it away. Uh, hello and welcome to Cast Cast, the podcast with women podcasts about the cast of other podcasts and the style of cast of other podcasts. This week on Cast Cast, uh, I have a whole bunch of just random crap, so please bear with me. Uh, the official forums are being reorganized and they're introducing a program called Forum Specialists. Uh, my understanding of the Forum Specialist program, based upon my skimming of the huge post about it, uh, is that there will be people who I think they said around 20 individuals who are very active on the forums uh, in particular areas of expertise like profession balance, dungeons, lore, community interaction, etc. And they'll have the power to... Uh, I don't know how to explain it. Like, promote different posts and stuff. I have to... I'll recheck that and I'll put a link in the description if you're curious about it, uh, as always. Uh, so that's going on in the official forums. I really don't follow the official forums very much because I don't like the atmosphere there, but I think putting uh, this sort of power in the hands of... The, they're elected, by the or they're chosen every six months, by the way. It's not uh, like a permanent position. So I think uh, having that kind of in the, the hands of users more might go a little ways towards making that a slightly more enjoyable experience. I just have a negative opinion of official forums in general. Um, the Battle of the Five Armies, which we promoted on the last show, and the interview with Duke Witherhart was last Friday, last Saturday, two Saturdays. I'm real confused about time. I'm sorry, guys. Eight days ago. Uh, eight days. Wow. It hasn't been like a month. It feels like forever. Um, Finals that was a blast. We had... I want to say upwards of 200 people at the end, uh, having pe- having had people dropped out and joined as we marched down there, um, because we had to do two different Tequadal fights. We couldn't get all of the Zergs in the same instance because there were just too many people. Too much Zerg. Yeah. Uh, so that was great. We managed to kill him both times. I popped into every Zerg at least once. I rejoined the Norn Zerg several times because I liked them best. Don't tell the Silvari. Uh, it was it was fun to see everyone. All of the different groups had kind of very different personalities. The Asura had fireworks <laughs> constantly. Of course they did. Just 
someone had like stacks and stacks of fireworks in their inventory and <laughs> the entire Asura Trail was just full of fireworks. And the Silvari were singing to each other and it was just a grand old time uh, for all involved. So kudos to Rock Paper Signet and Duke Witherheart and all of the organizers. There were far too many of you for me to remember. I apologize. There were two commanders for each Zerg and I just don't remember. Uh, what else? Oh, congratulations to the Abjured. The um, World Tournament Series was this this weekend? No, last week. Someday. Recently, within like the last few days. Uh, the North American team won for the first time in many moons. Evie, do you know? It's It's been a long time. <laughs> yeah. So that was exciting. Uh, I heard the the tournament or like the game, the matches themselves for the last few games were great and the videos are online uh, and in the description of course I would not leave you guys without links uh, I wanted to say also uh, on points of interest they've been starting a series called PvP 101 maybe not started I don't watch points of interest all that often so it could be a few weeks in but um, they give you little bits of homework to get you into PvP every week and this week it was learn a map really well and then do one game of unranked play which I think is a a good way for me uh, who enjoys PvP but not uh, not is not confident in my ability to um, get into that and so I would encourage people to look into both points of interest and PvP 101 if you're interested in PvP uh, to get some pointers on how to go about getting into that. And if you do, let us know, because I'm curious about you guys' experience in PvP. I think that's all I've got. I'm sorry, my brain is like a scrambled egg. Oh, yeah. Okay, huh? so this is kind of a story for... Actually, I've got two more things. One I forgot about. Uh, this is kind of a story for uh, Relics Guildmates, especially if you're in Guild Wars 1. We had a guildmate named Acrenius Lucor. Uh, and he has been away for two years on a mission trip in Estonia, and he got back this week, which made, you know, my Grinchy heart swell to three times as big. Now, I really enjoyed uh, being able to talk to him again. He was a former host of this show. Not a f- host, I don't think, but he part did of, a segment the for this show. As it were. Right. He um, did the Monumental Task, which was a series of guides on how to... Do your Hall of Monuments. Yeah. So that was real awesome. We missed him, and it was great to see you back. Hopefully you listened to the show. I asked him uh, if he saw that the podcast was still on, and he said, yeah, podcast number two high. Hmm. Uh, The other thing is that Relics is doing a gift exchange slash giveaway uh, hosted by me, uh, trying to organize something during the holiday season on my limited time. Essentially what it is is you send me a gift, I put it in the Relic Guild Bank, uh, and then at the end of the season, I randomly switch them all up and send them back to people. But if you send in a gift, you're also eligible to win a bunch of prizes. I've got two batches of 800 gems for two lucky winners. I've got a batch of 400 gems for another lucky winner. I've got a... Oh gosh, what are they? I have a Monkey King Tonic and Mini... I've got a Tybalt Mini and a Tybalt Backpack to give away. I've got some gold. Oh, I'm giving away a Black Lion ticket as well. So 
I didn't want to open it up. I didn't want it to be that big of a thing um, because I don't have a whole lot of time, but not a lot, a lot of people have entered, so you have a very good chance at winning. And if you're comfortable sending me a mail uh, and want to participate, my in-game name is spiritface.5089. You can send me stuff from Europe. I don't care. Anyone is welcome to participate. And yeah. Oh, there's even one more thing. Gosh, you guys, there's so many community things going on during Christmas. There's a bigger secret Santa, which has links in the doobly-doo, and that's more of a traditional secret Santa, where uh, what you get matched up with another person. And get them a gift specifically. Yeah, instead of just having everything just redistributed. So there are also links to that. Happy holidays, uh, community, with all of your community events. That better be all I have. If there's anything else, I will put it in the thing, but I don't think there is. Alrighty. Well, with that, that has been another episode of Relics 4. Um, I don't know exactly what we're going to be doing over the holidays in terms of podcasting. Uh, but, you know, we'll keep you posted on Twitter and all that jazz. Um, if they do another... Uh, if they do another Living Story patch, I'm sure we'll find a way to cover it, but we may go into quiet mode uh you know if there's no patches happening or whatever we're gonna be busy so anyway uh thanks for tuning in and we will see you next time that was another episode of relics of war if you'd like to get involved you can find us on any social networking site such as facebook twitter steam and many more just by looking up relics of war that's relics of O-R-R. Similarly, if you'd like to send us mail, you can send that to relicsoforr at gmail.com or go to our website, relicsofor.com, where you can record right there on the front page using our WordPress widget. Just put on a headset and give us your feedback. Or if you feel more comfortable with it, you can go ahead and just record the audio and send it to us as an OGG or an MP3 file. If you'd like to join us in-game, send a whisper to Cole, C-O-E-H-L, and Nexi, A-N-E-K-S-I, See Squirrel Run, that's a C, and then Squirrel, and then Run, or Spirit Face to get in contact with us or join the guild. Last, we always love the comments, so if you want to go to our main site and start commenting on some of the posts that we've got or join our forums, you can have fun with that. If you listen to us on iTunes, you can find our page on the market and just leave a comment or a rating that you feel that we deserve. If you appreciate that, we'll read them on the show. 